your Bibles, turn with me tonight to Genesis chapter 24. If this is the third time today you have heard me preach, then I know that there's a special jewel in your crown in heaven. I told my wife while ago, who is homesick, that even I was tired of hearing me talk. Tonight we're going to look at a bride for Isaac. Our text is the story of finding a bride for Isaac. It is the longest chapter in the book of Genesis, some 67 verses long. But don't worry, we're not going to read them all. It's the first great romantic love story in the Bible. Now we're very much aware by this point that Isaac is the fulfillment of God's promise to Abraham that he would provide him with an heir. God had miraculously provided Isaac to parents who were well past the childbearing years. But in order for that promise to be fulfilled and for God to bring forth a great nation through this son, not only must Abraham have a son, but his son must by necessity be married and through that marriage also bring forth children. Now the recent death and burial of his beloved wife Sarah, which you'll find in Genesis chapter 23, is a fresh reminder to Abraham of his own mortality and of his own advancing years. Abraham is 140 years old at this point. And it makes him all the more aware of his responsibility to make sure that his son, who is now in his 40s, will marry and produce heirs. So Abraham calls his servant and tells him, I want you to find my son a wife. There are four things that we're going to look at in our study tonight. First of all, the father's desire. Beginning in verse 1, it says, Now Abraham was old and well advanced in age, and the Lord had blessed Abraham in all things. And so Abraham said to the oldest servant of his house, who ruled over all that he had, Please put your hand under my thigh, and I'll make you swear by the Lord, the God of heaven and the God of earth, that you will not take a wife from my son from the daughters of the Canaanites, in whom I dwell. But you shall go to my country and to my family and take a wife for me, for my son Isaac. Now Abraham gave his servant two very specific instructions. First he says, I want you to find a bride for Isaac who is not a Canaanite. And perhaps more importantly, he says, you must find a bride for Isaac that is from among our people. The point here is that Abraham understood that it was a mistake for a believer to marry an unbeliever. Abraham saw it as crucial that his son marry a woman who shared his commitment to the Lord and his purpose concerning the land. Of course, the Apostle Paul also advances the principle that believers are not to be unequally yoked to unbelievers in 2 Corinthians 6.14. Some might be tempted to argue on the basis of their personal experience that they married someone who was an unbeliever at the time and it worked out just fine. 
That, of course, is an argument based on God's mercy. There are as many others who will admit that it would that marrying an unbeliever was a mistake in that it has led to many years of conflict within that relationship. Certainly, it was more trouble for Abraham to secure a wife for Isaac from among his own people rather than from among the Canaanites, just as it will be more difficult for those in our day to find a mate who is committed to God. Now, we have to face it, there were... There were a lot of nice-looking single unbelievers out there. And there are a lot of nice, good-looking churchgoers who are just not committed to Christ. Secondly, neither would Abraham agree to allow Isaac to be taken out of the land because his continued presence there was a sign that that land would belong to his descendants. So when his servant suggested that perhaps Isaac should go along in selecting a wife, Abraham said in verse 6, Beware that you do not take my son back there. The Lord God of heaven who took me from my father's house and from the land of my family and who spoke to me swore to me saying, To your descendants I give this land. He will send his angel before you and you shall take a wife for my son from there. And if the, if the woman is not willing to follow you, then you will be released from your oath. Only do not take my son back there. So first of all, the father's desire. Secondly, the servant's dedication. Verse 10. Servant took ten of his master's camels and departed for all his master's goods were in his hand. And he arose and went to Mesopotamia to the city of Nahor. And he made his camels kneel down outside the city by a well of water at evening time, the time when women go out to draw water. We really don't know from the text who this particular servant is. He's not named there. But there is a strong likelihood that it is Eleazar of Damascus who is mentioned in Genesis chapter 15 and verse 2. All we know for sure is this man is a faithful servant and we will soon see that he obviously has come to trust the God of Abraham just as his, as his master did. As we begin to look at this servant's dedication, the first thing we see is that he exercises practical wisdom. Abraham's servant did not sit down in his tent and just pray for God to bring a bride. He prayed a lot, but then he got up and he went. He didn't go to the Canaanite dance clubs or to the hot spots, but rather he went to where he could find a good, godly young woman from among Abraham's relatives. He set out on a long trip, perhaps as much as 500 miles. That would have taken him at least a month. Just as surely you will not find a godly mate where the young people gather to party. Don't go there. You might find a godly mate at church. Do go there. The second thing we note is that he sought God's guidance. It says in verse 12, And then he, then he said, O Lord God of my master Abraham, please give me success this day and show kindness to my master Abraham. Behold, here I stand by the well of water, and the daughters of the men of the city are coming out to draw water. 
Now let it be that the young woman to whom I say, please let down your pitcher that I may drink. And she says, drink, and I will also give your camels a drink. Let her be the one you have appointed for your servant Isaac. And by this I will know that you have shown kindness to my master. So when he got to the place, he stopped and he prayed. Now some think that Abraham's servant was putting out a fleece. Uh, when he laid out the terms of how he would know which woman was right for Isaac. There really is a big difference between what this servant does here and what Gideon did in, in Judges chapter 6 when he put out his fleece. God had already clearly told Gideon what he wanted him to do. The fleece was Gideon's way of bolstering his weak faith. But in this case, the servant was not dictating to God what he must do, or, nor was he doubting what he had already been told to do. Why then did he ask for a particular sign? Well, first of all, it was specific. He was trying to provide a basis upon which he could know that this prayer had been answered. Secondly, it was practical. It was something that needed to be done anyway. And third, it was an excellent test to determine the kind of woman who would make an excellent wife for Isaac. It would have been customary for any young woman to offer a stranger a drink. But to draw water for ten thirsty camels would have required a woman for the servant's heart. That Rebecca was willing to undertake this task is nothing short of amazing. Let me try to help you grasp the significance of this. We have to understand that, first of all, an ancient well was a very large, deep hole in the earth with steps down to the water. So each drawing of the water would require substantial effort. That is, what is more, the camel, a camel, would typically drink 20 to 25 gallons of water each. And an ancient water jug typically held three gallons of water. That would mean that Rebecca made between 80 and 100 trips up and down those stairs to water the camels. We're talking an hour to two hour task in order to complete that job. Next we see he receives an amazing answer in verse 15. And it happened before he had finished speaking that behold Rebekah, who was of Bethuel, son of Malachi, the wife of Nahor, Abraham's brother, came out with her pitcher on her shoulder. And now the young, man, young woman was very beautiful, behold, a virgin. No man had known her. And she went down to the well, filled her pitcher, and came up. And the servant ran to meet her and said, Please let me have a drink of a little water from your pitcher. And she said, Drink, my lord. And then... She quickly let her pitcher down to her hand and gave him a drink. And when she had finished giving him a drink, she said, I will draw water for your camels also until they have finished drinking. And then she quickly emptied her pitcher into the trough, ran back into the well to draw water, and drew for all of, her, all of his camels. And the man wondering at her remained silent so as to know whether the Lord had made his journey prosperous or not. And so it was when the camels had finished drinking that the man took a golden nose ring weighing half a shekel and two bracelets 
for a wrist weighing ten shekels of gold and said, Whose daughter are you? Tell me, please. Is there room in your father's house for us to lodge? And then she told him, I am the daughter of Bethuel, Malachi's son, who is born by Nohor. Moreover, she said to him, We have both straw and feed enough and room to lodge. I really love what verse 15 says. Before he had finished praying, Rebecca came with a jar on her shoulder. Now, what is really amazing about that is that in order for Rebecca to arrive at that particular moment, she would have had to leave her house before the servant even began to pray. As God was directing the servant to pray for specific assurance, he was already putting in motion the answer to that prayer. Only after Rebekah had completed the task did the servant respond. He at once rewarded her willing spirit with a generous gift, and then he discovered that, lo and behold, she was the granddaughter of Abraham's brother. This is no chance meeting, but rather one that was orchestrated in heaven and carried out on earth. The next thing that we see about the servant is that he stopped to give God praise. It says, Then the man bowed down his head and worshipped the Lord, and he said, Blessed be the Lord God of my, fa- my master Abraham, who has not forsaken his mercy and his truth toward my master. As for me, being on the way, the Lord led me to the house of my master's brethren. So the young woman ran and told her mother's household these things. The servant is walking in such close harmony with God that when God worked out the circumstances in a remarkable way, he just naturally stopped and praised the Lord. Just as he was careful to tell Rebecca and her family the whole story about how God had guided him from the beginning to the end. Now I want to summarize verses 29 through 53. The rest of the chapter tells how Rebecca introduces the servant to her brother Laban. You'll hear about Laban later on in the book of Genesis, and it'll not be complimentary. And and she tells about her father. When they sit down to the evening meal together, the servant makes his presentation. He tells how God has led him to this particular place. He also tells them how wealthy Abraham is, and how Isaac is to be his heir. He mentions Isaac's miraculous conception, and he repeats Abraham's specific instructions that Isaac's wife must come from his own family, from among his own people. And finally, he reveals the prayer that he had prayed at the well, and how God had miraculously and amazingly brought an immediate answer. And in verse 49, he presses the family for a decision. They give their consent to their arrangement for the marriage, but then the question soon arises about when she's going to leave. Yes, she can go. Yes, she can be Isaac's wife. However, we don't want her to leave right away. We look at the bride's decision third. And he and the men who were with him, this is verse 54, uh, 
ate and drank and stayed all night, and then they arose in the morning, and he said, Send me away to my master. But her brother and her mother said, Let the young woman stay with us a few days, at least ten, and after that she may go. And he said to them, Do not hinder me, since the Lord has prospered my way. Send me away so that I may go to my master's house. Remember, he's already been away about a month or more. So they said, we will, we will call the young woman and ask her personally. And then they called Rebecca and said to her, will you go with this man? And she said, I will go. The servant wants to leave immediately to return, but the family counters with a request for at least 10 days. Finally, after I would presume there's argumentation on both sides, they finally allowed the girl herself to make the decision, and they called her, and Rebecca is asked, will you go with this man? Now think about the implications of that question. No doubt she could have come up with a couple of dozen reasons why she thought that might not be a good idea. Rebecca has perhaps never in her life been away from her home. Ever. Not only will she be leaving home, but it is quite possible that she will be leaving her family permanently because she will probably never be able to make this journey back, the 500 miles. Not only that, she's been asked to go with a servant that she has known for less than 24 hours. She is being asked to go with a man she barely knows to a place she's never seen to marry a man she's never met. That's some pretty good you know, reasons right there. Her simple, I will go, <clears throat> reflects a profound trust in the fact that God is leading her steps. Now, the story of Isaac and Rebekah really is a beautiful love story in and of itself. But it is also a beautiful story of how God the Father loves and seeks to win those who are away from him. Henry Morrison writes, Not only is it a heartwarming love story, but it chronicles a very important episode in the history of man's redemption. Since Isaac is a type of Christ, according to the New Testament, it is not surprising that there are many fascinating parallels between the history of Isaac's search for a bride through the ministry of the Father's entrusted servant and the sending forth of the Holy Spirit to take out of the Gentiles a people for his name, a bride for Christ. Well, as we begin to look at Rebecca and her decision, the bride's decision, I want you to notice, first of all, learning of Isaac. I suspect that all the way back across the desert, Rebecca would have been asking, tell me about Isaac. Tell me about Isaac. Tell me about Isaac. Rebecca would have had a hundred questions to ask about Isaac. What does he look like? Is he really that rich? Is he kind and thoughtful and many, many more? But the more she knew about Isaac, the more her heart grew to love him. 
And in a sense, our Christian lives are also one long learning experience in which the Holy Spirit, who delights to speak about Christ, teaches us about him. Not only learning of Isaac, but longing for Isaac. The more she learned about Isaac, the more she yearned to be with him. She came to love him, not for the gifts that he had given through the servant, but, but love him for himself, for who he was. And as the journey continued, she learned more and more about Isaac, and he became more and more a real person to whom she had given her heart. In the same way, that is what the Holy Spirit is working on in every believer's life. And then looking for Isaac. It says in verse 62, Now Isaac came by the way of Berlachro, for he dwelt in the south. And Isaac went out to meditate in the field in the evening, and he lifted up his eyes and looked, and there the camels were coming. And then Rebekah lifted up her eyes, and when she saw Isaac, she descended from her camel, for she said to the servant, Who is this man? walking in the field to meet us. And the servant said, it is my master. So she took a veil and covered herself. As the journey neared an end, Rebecca, the earnest bride, began to look for Isaac. And in due time, the text tells us that Rebecca lifted up her eyes and when she saw Isaac, she said to the servant, who is this man who's walking in the field to meet us? The one that she was looking for was actually coming to greet her. Paul writes about how believers are to live with a sense of expectancy, awaiting our Lord's return. In Titus 2.13 we read, Looking for the blessed hope and glorious appearing of our great God and Savior Jesus Christ. The word looking means to expect to look for and to wait for. This is suggestive of an atmosphere of expectancy in which there is a readiness to welcome the person that is looked for and expected. One of these days, the wait's going to be over and Christ will arise and go forth to meet his bride. And then the cry will go out, Behold, the bridegroom cometh. Finally, we have the groom's delight. And the servant, verse 66, told Isaac all the things that he had done. And then Isaac brought her into his mother Sarah's tent, and he took Rebekah, and she became his wife, and he loved her. And so Isaac was comforted after his mother's death. I like the way that John Phillips puts this. He says, in all the time, <clears throat> Isaac was waiting. He had been to Moriah. His work was done. The calling of the bride was the work of another. His task now was to wait in the Father's presence until the appointed hour when he could go forth to meet his bride. The time must have seemed long, but finally the great day dawned and Isaac went to meet his bride and escort her home. Isaac welcomes his bride with joy and in like manner 
One day, Jesus will welcome his bride with joy. The Apostle Paul declares to the Ephesians in chapter 5 and verse 25, Husbands, love your wives, just as Christ also loved the church and gave himself for her, that he might sanctify and cleanse her with the washing of water by the word, that he might present her to himself a glorious church, not having spot or wrinkle or any other thing, but that she should be holy and without blemish. When the, when the bride arrives in heaven, there's going to be a party. It's called the marriage supper of the Lamb. Don, John tells us about this in the book of Revelation. Revelation chapter 19 verse 7 says, Let us be glad and rejoice and give him glory for the marriage of the Lamb has come and his wife has made herself ready. As John the Revelator said so eloquently, even so, Lord Jesus, come. Let's pray. Father, thank you for the beautiful imagery that we find in this story of Isaac and Rebekah. It's not only a human love story, but it so well illustrates relationship between us his church and our lord about the holy spirit drawing us and teaching us and instructing us about our lord causing us to love him and long for him and look for him help us lord to have that kind of expectancy in our heart may these be words of encouragement tonight we ask it in jesus name amen